following is a production of Shark Flight Media. Now entering the nexus of geekery and guy world in three, two, one, mark. Do you know what the secret of life is? One thing, just one thing. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. This is the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. Hey kids, welcome to another exciting edition of the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. I am your host, Ian J. Malone, going to be joined momentarily by my partner in crime, Kevin Ke- uh, Kevin Steverson. Rob Howell has the night off tonight. Fantastic show on tap. We are revving our engines for tonight's episode, as it were. Going to be talking some motorsports with you. Other topics on tap, took a peek at the Podmail bag. We got She-Hulk. We got some grilling talk we're going to be having later on tonight. Uh, got a little bit of Twitter talk. Just lots of good stuff happening from our listeners. So thanks to folks who submitted questions there. Before we go any further, we've got to say a big shout out to our presenting sponsor. That would, of course, be the fine folks over at Chris Kennedy Publishing. Doesn't matter what you're into, folks. If it's military, science fiction, space opera, paranormal romance, urban fantasy, post-apocalyptic, high fantasy. Woo! They got it all over there at Chris Kennedy Publishing. To know more, check them out. Go to the website, chriskennedypublishing.com. You can read about their various books, their series, their authors, even sign up for their mailing list while you're there. Get yourself a free ebook. It is all right there again at chriskennedypublishing.com. Chris Kennedy Publishing, they are message-free sci-fi with a slice of fantasy. Also want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at the Believe Podcast Network. Love those folks. Doesn't matter what you're into for podcasts either, man. They are the number one site on the web for podcasts professionals. So go check it out. If you want sports podcasts, they got it. Mystery thrillers, conspiracy theories, politics, pop culture, geek stuff, literary, they got it all. Again, number one source for podcasts on the net for professionals. It's awesome. Uh, to learn more about them, go to their website, BLEAV.com. Again, that's BLEAV.com, the Believe Podcast Network. Brother Steverson, how are we doing this fine hey. evening, sir? I'm doing good. Doing good. Got the got the new puppy and uh uh, getting the workout, bending over, cleaning up puppy pee. You know how that goes. Oh, uh, yes. Just, you yes. got to teach them. And, and, you know, it's one of, one of those things that comes with the territory with a puppy. Yeah. There's a reason why I turned to rescues many years ago. And uh, been, I've been pretty lucky on that front. That's been nice. I get them after their crate and potty trade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, I'm happy to report that we are all feeling better in the Malone house after the uh, the sweeping plague that uh, that befell us on our 10 year wedding anniversary. I got COVID. My wife got COVID. My mother in law got COVID. It was uh, mass hysteria. Uh, dogs and cats living together. It was gross for you know a couple pestilence of days. and disease, dude. Thankfully, I mean, all jokes aside, we were very lucky. We got you know, nasty head colds, and that was the end of it. You know, you, you have a fever for a day or two, you sweat it out, you break it, take lots of meds and you know vitamins and whatnot, and and just stay cool and stay chill and relax and sleep. And we were through it. So uh, happy to be done. Happy to be out of quarantine. Happy to be able to go back out to you know the store, Home Depot, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and and uh, just happy to be around people again, man. Even supposed to be catching up with some buddies tomorrow night for happy hour. So. Uh, Super nice. stoked about that. So, well, nice. let's uh, let's say we get into the news and kick this sucker off proper, shall we? Yeah. And now the news. 
All right, at the news is the segment where we briefly talk about what's kind of going on in our world with writing projects and, uh, you know, cons and event schedules and stuff like that. For folks who are just now maybe tuning into this podcast for the first time because you're fans of our guests, we're all best-selling sci-fi authors here. Uh, some of us even dabble in fantasy a bit, so if you fancy yourself as more of a sword and sorcery type of person, we got that too in this crowd. So we talk a lot of books and a lot of writing, and in addition to interviewing, you know, people from the racing world or the sports world, we also interview a whole lot of authors and storytellers. So if you're a geek and a sports fan, we're your show. That's what we do here on the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. But for now, we're going to focus on the book stuff and uh, just kind of go with that. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of news to report. Um, you know, the plan was to get back busy on the last Argonaut when I got back from the cruise. But with all hell breaking loose and all of that, I've only this week you know, been able to get back to having a quiet house where I could hole in in the mornings and, and do my usual thing at around five. So, uh, so that's back underway. Uh, one thing I did want to tell folks about, if you don't subscribe to my newsletter, you should. All right. So go to ianjmalone.net, you know, hit the little button there, sign up for it in your email address. In addition to getting news and notes from me, I'm also doing a new thing. And Kevin, I got to say thank you to the, to you for this because you're the one who got me turned on to this service. I'm now providing free book stuff in every email that I send out. Which is once a month. So folks are folks are on hard times right now. All right, gas is four dollars and fifty cents a freaking gallon, and God help you if you've got uh, diesel. Grocery yeah. bills are 30 percent higher than what they should be right now. I mean, it's it's a mess, and a lot of people are tight. And unfortunately, as much as we love them, they don't have the scratch to be able to go spend a lot of money on books. And so, freebie book giveaways really kind of a godsend in times like uh, times like this. So go sign up for my mailing list while you're at it. Go sign up for Kevin Stevenson's at kevinstevenson.com. All right. Um, we're going to give you, like I said, again, in addition to news and stuff that's going on with us and, and our books and our series, you're also going to get links to free books every month. So if you're a little hard times right now for, for cash, you want some good stuff to read, we can hook you up with some freebie deals if you go sign up for our newsletters. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's real important this day and age because it, some of the simple things that you didn't think anything about, but on a Friday evening, you're not going to go out and spend 20, 25 bucks yeah. at the bar we actually or the bowling got a, alley. Yeah, so we actually got a pod mail question from a guy who's in that very situation. And yeah, we're, we're yeah. going to get to his question here in just a little while. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of that, man. Uh, freebie book deals are, are good no matter who you're dealing with. It's, it's right, always right. nice to catch a break. And so that's a service that I'm happy to provide. So thank you again to you for getting me turned on to this, you know, this, the people who provide that so that I could integrate that into my email. But that's enough about me, man. What's going on with you? What's going on in the world of salvage title? What's happening in the world of Kevin Stevenson? Well, there's several books uh, um, near stage completion. You know, yours is, is getting some editing. And then uh, there's, a, there's a couple others. Um, I just got something from Briscoe Woods. Uh, first, you know, 12, 13,000 words for me to take a look at. So that's going to be great. Um, there's 20 books in Salvage Universe now, and, and and like I said, there's more in the works and more happening. So it's all good. Um, continues to get published in Germany. Um, so that's good. A lot of the CKP books are getting published in Germany. We have 30 books out there now. So cool. Um, but that series is getting over there. If we got any 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 listeners who who spreckensy, um, so that's uh that's happening. I um I am I have started. I've cracked cracked the book and started the third in my fantasy series to finish up that trilogy. I know a lot of fantasy readers like all three, and so that's going to make a big difference when I have that third one done and out, so I can you know start doing some marketing and that kind of thing. 
Awesome. 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 Well, again, folks, if you're looking for more information on us, go to ianjmalone.net, kevinsteverson.com. Uh, if you're looking for Rob Howell, magically enough, he's on the internet too at robhowell.org. Pretty sure he's got a blog you can follow where he keeps you posted on all of that. And he's been known to throw out a free book promotion from time to time too. So keep your ears on for that. Well, folks, if you know anything about yours truly here, it is that I do happen to be a race fan. And for those of you who are like me and you're my fellow race fans, you know that May is quite possibly the most wonderful time of year, not called Christmas. We've got down south the Coca-Cola 600, the NASCAR All-Star Race happening in NASCAR land. We've got the Grand Prix of Monaco happening in Formula One country. And then, of course, a little race out in Indiana called the Indianapolis 500, which happens every Memorial Day weekend. So I could stand here and talk to you guys for hours on end about this, but you hear enough out of me. So we decided we'd go out and get us uh, get us some guests to come in and talk about this particular topic and just American motorsports in general. And that is going to come to us by way of the Turn 4 podcast, which you can find on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual places. And it is hosted by Dan Maldonado and Tim Rayner, who is joining us now. Welcome to the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast, fellas. Appreciate you tagging along. Hey, Ian. Thanks for having us. Hey, nope. Kevin. No problem. Tim, how are you doing yeah, tonight? Thanks for having us. I am so good. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. We're excited to talk about IndyCar racing. Well, I, I love your show. Uh, I've obviously gone in and listened to a few episodes uh, since, since we kind of crossed paths. I love the fact that you are an IndyCar-centric show, but uh, you, you do step out of that from time to time and you do cover other things happening over here, i.e. NASCAR, IMSA, uh, F1. Uh, you, you dabble in a little bit of all of it. Uh, that's kind of where I want to start is with sort of a bird's eye view of where we're at. It's really kind of an exciting time to be a race fan in North America. There's a lot of change happening. And particularly in, in this year of 2022, we've seen NASCAR roll out a new car. Uh, we saw the clash at the LA Coliseum, which was a once and forever event where we turned a football stadium into a quarter mile bull ring. Uh, we had just this past weekend, the Grand Prix of Miami, which has brought a lot of talk and a lot of chatter on the heels of just exploding popularity for F1 over in uh, over here on this side of the pond. And then, of course, you've got IndyCar. And that's a series that has seen a lot of changes over the last few years, from the, the transition from Tony George and the Holman family to now being owned by Roger Penske. Uh, we have exciting cars. We've got aero screens. We've got an influx of new drivers in that series. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a really exciting time to be a race fan in North America. So, Dan, I'm going to start with you on this, man. Talk to me about kind of the state of American racing. What do you see as, as being the, the highs and the lows right now of what's happening in the grand scheme of things? And you can pick any series you like or all of them. Choice is yours. You know what? If if I could, I I Again, I want to say thank you, Ian, for having us. We appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate the kind words about our show. We're, we're thrilled to be here. Uh, thrilled to uh, bring some of our our fan, uh, you know, insights to your show. We are not insiders. We pride ourselves on not being insiders. We're really just fans, and we like to give our opinion on on IndyCar and, of course, other forms of uh, of motorsport as well. But um, to talk a little bit about what you're saying, you know. Motorsports in in the U.S. is doing very very well, I believe. Um, IndyCar has seen an uptick in their ratings, uh, their their televisions, and of course Formula One. Right, Formula One tends to be the the elephant in the room, so to speak. And I think that really comes down to the what comes along with Drive to Survive. Sure. Um, I mean, and Formula One couldn't have hit that one better if they tried, because Drive to Survive drops 
during the pandemic, right? So people are at home, they're forced to start watching something and they see this on TV, on, on their Netflix. And, uh, and it gives them a chance to peek in on Formula One that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do. And it makes it real to people, right? You can see the drivers, you can hear their voices, you can hear their perspectives. You get the behind the scenes and of course the adversity. Adversity is what sells, right? Sure. So when you see the adversity between the teams, the drivers, and even these team principals, right? I, I tune in to hear and see whatever it is that Gunther Steiner has to say. He's the team principal for Haas. And, and whatever fight or, or whatever Total Wolf has done to get under Christian Horner's skin, I tune in to Drive to Survive just for that. Oh yeah, no, it's a it is a fantastic show and one that is completely addictive. Uh, we've we've talked about that on this show at, at nauseum, particularly in our pod mail segment where we get most of our racing questions from listeners. Uh, Tim, I'm going to kick over to you for a second on this next one, man. You know, I touched upon IndyCar here just a second ago, and and the the many changes that we've seen. Uh, you know, from Penske buying Indianapolis Motor Speedway and in the IndyCar series. You know, the influx of new drivers like you know Romain Grosjean, Alex Pillow, Scott McLaughlin. And then, you know, some guy named Jimmy Johnson, you pair that with, you know, the older stars like the Elio Castroneves, who makes history last year with his fourth Indy win. Uh, you know, the stuff that's happening with the cars, there's talk of new engine manufacturers coming on board, maybe in the form of a, of a Toyota. A lot of stuff happening in, in IndyCar right now. Of all the changes that have happened around this series, what do you see as, as the, the changes that will be most impactful to propel this series into the future moving forward? Yeah, I think the biggest thing when you look at the IndyCar series and the changes that have taken place, when you have Roger Penske taking over the series and, and really taking an influx of money into the series, that's really a big, big change for IndyCar, the Indianapolis 500, and what's about to happen here in just a little over a week at the uh, on Memorial Day. Uh, that with the drivers coming in, when you have influx from those drivers that are overseas, it really takes the viewership and broadens that to overseas. And we saw a lot of that in the 90s, too. We saw some drivers come over. You look at Nigel Mansell that was here at one time that paired up with Mario Andretti. And those were the, if you want to call it the heyday of IndyCar. And that's, you know, when myself and Dan and we were all watching that and we want to get back to that. And so we think that's, you know, what we're seeing happening here in the IndyCar series. It's just really blown up. And if you look at the ratings that Dan just talked about a little bit, the ratings have really gone up for the IndyCar series. They put some new races and some destination races, which are important. If you look at Nashville and what took place last year, I know it was a yellow flag fest, but at the end of the day, it brought some new viewership and some new fans. And so overall, you know, they've increased the safety there with the aero screen and that's changed the overall dynamic and the, the settings of the cars. And so when you look at new drivers coming in, they're used to that. That's all they know. Sure. However, when you look at the veterans and where the veterans were um, prior to the aero screen, they've had to adapt and that being able to adapt, they've, they've fallen a little bit behind the eight ball. So some people like Scott Dixon, who's, you know, been dominant in the series for years, he's struggled a little bit this year and ever since the aero screen has come on. And they said the balance of those cars have changed. And so it's been a lot of work for engineers and, and for the teams as a whole. And you've seen some influx of new teams as, as well. If you look at Hunkos Hollinger and that team, and they've come on and they, they were the team, if you don't, if you recall, they were the team that bumped Fernando Alonso out of the Indy 500 several years ago. 
and that team has come on this year as well. But overall, Roger's doing a great job with the series, and we expect to see more and more changes as he continues to develop the series. And I think you're going to see a little more of the ovals kind of take place um, in the IndyCar series. Yeah, I've actually got a question on that. So keep that in your back pocket. Dan, I want to throw back to you for a second, man. Mm-hmm. A lot of changes have happened around IndyCar the last few years. You know, in your mind, what have been the, the highlights? What are the things that, that really are going to propel this series moving forward into the future to grow, uh, grow fan base, grow viewership and, and the whole nine yards? Well, I, I think just to kind of tag on to what Tim said, I think it really starts with Roger Penske buying the series and buying the Speedway. You know, Roger, I mean, according to, to Forbes, Roger has a, a personal net worth of about $3 billion. Right. Doing so, some things there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You don't become a billionaire by making, you know, uh, ridiculous money decisions. But Roger's also in it for the long haul as well. He's not looking for an immediate return on investment. His family's not, you know, just looking to extract what they can in terms of profitability out of this thing. Sure, they want to make a profit, but they're they're making profit elsewhere. Sure. And they're doing just fine. But I think it starts with Roger being willing and able to invest in the series and understanding that it's a long-term investment and it's going to take some time. I think number two is I think the NBC contract where they have most of their races are broadcasting on network. The time itself is within a certain window of where you'd expect to see your IndyCar uh, races on NBC. You know where to go. You know about what time they're going to be on. So that consistency helps. Big gaps in the schedule, I think, is something that IndyCar really needs to work on. Um, you know, there was almost a month between the first two races of the season this year. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's something that you need to work on because consistency, I think, is really what, what helps all of that. Sure. Putting, it, putting on a good show, you know, being able to allow these drivers to race each other, not, not make a mess of each other and, and, you know, knock big holes in these cars, but being able to race aggressively and appropriately, I think that's what's going to bring people back and continue to uh, drive this upward. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think it can be overstated the home run for IndyCar fans that Penske buying the series is, you know, I think anytime you find out that your favorite racing series is up for sale, there's a devil, you know, devil, you don't element in play there. You know, I, there are a lot of people, if you read Bernie Ecclestone's um, comments lately in F1 news, a lot of people over the pond that aren't real thrilled with Liberty Media. You know, a lot of lot of old school F1 fans that are not real happy with the way the sport is being packaged, the way the sport is being grown to new fans. You know, and there's a lot of chatter there about that. With Roger Penske at the helm, not only do you have a guy who is a brilliant businessman, has a, a huge track record of success in business, but he's also a racing purist and he understands the beating heart of what makes Indianapolis Indianapolis. There was nobody better to buy the series in in my opinion. Uh, let me ask you I, this. I think let me, I, I just want to add to that. So I, I think you're right. I, I think what Liberty Media has kind of gotten themselves into hot water with is change, right? Yeah. We, people just inherently don't like change, but there's a way to manage the change, right? Manage the expectations of the change. But being sort of dismissive of, well, Monaco may not have a place on our future calendar. Right. That's going to make people crazy. That's yeah. like saying, right, Indianapolis isn't going to have a place on or may not have a place on the future calendar. Sure. That's going to make people crazy. Whether or not that's true, there's still a way to say that. Right. 
And yeah, the fact that they floated that out is just ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, that's the kind of boneheaded stuff I expect from NASCAR leadership there. <laughs> but uh, that's a whole nother can of worms for for a whole nother day. Uh, let me ask you I this. You know, to, you, yeah, I, go ahead, Tim. I, do, I just want uh, to kind of talk about NBC and the coverage that they have. I think their coverage is really good. And I think the extended coverage to Peacock has really helped the fan base. The fan base can watch practice. The fan base um, can watch – Q1, Q2, they can watch everything throughout the whole IndyCar series. So um, if there's IndyCar fans out there that don't have access to Peacock, I would tell you it is 100% worth it. And even from this week when we were looking at uh, practice at the Indy 500, everything is on Peacock, on demand, and available to the consumer right at their fingertips. Yep. And when your goal is to try and get younger as a sport, streaming is the way to go. Absolutely. Uh, with, with Gen Zers and, and to some degree millennials, it is all about the cord cutting. And they don't care that you're on network television. They want to watch you on a device. Peacock gives IndyCar that in spades. Now, I was a huge proponent of that. I thought it was a, I don't know how much exactly they're making off of the NBC deal. Obviously, they're getting paid. But the way it's structured, the way it's laid out, I don't think that position-wise you could ask for better for IndyCar. Um, let me ask you this. Is there something maybe IndyCar isn't doing right now to market itself uh, that you think maybe they could be doing a better job of? And, Tim, I'll give you lead on that one. Yeah. So, um, you know, I really, I, I really think they're doing a good job. I think they've got a good product out there. And, you know, I – I think it always goes back to uh, driver personalities and how do you get to the driver personality uh, in any car? They've struggled with that over the past several years and for some time where you look at a series like NASCAR, all of these drivers have some type of personality that they bring to the table. Um, I've seen uh, recently just doing driver lineups, something that they haven't done on NBC really well, uh, just to give the fans a flavor of who these people are. You know, when I look at the drivers themselves. And if you are an IndyCar fan, you can go to Twitter and get some of their personalities. But I think the series as a whole should do a better job. And I think they do well around the Indy 500. But other than that, you don't get that um, that feel of, I know this person, I want to connect with this person, I don't, and I want to follow this driver no matter you know what time of the year it is or what race it is, whether I'm mostly an oval fan or I'm a road course or a street course fan, I want to follow there in and there out. So I think if they did a little bit on that front, it would help the series. I got you. Dan, you actually mentioned Drive to Survive earlier, and I'm really glad that yeah. you did. That has done a, a magnificent job of opening up a, a whole new world of fans for Formula One. It's also, you know, we've, we've noticed uh, F1 drivers, particularly guys in the back of the field, uh, guys in, in the younger ranks that may not necessarily have a direct pipeline to a Red Bull uh, or a Mercedes or a Ferrari, maybe starting to look over at IndyCar as saying, hey, you know, Romain Grosjean doing some nice things over there. You know, Erickson, those guys, they're, they're doing some things. Maybe I should look at IndyCar. You know, how can the drive to survive affect bleed over into IndyCar and how can IndyCar kind of ride some of that wave since there are obviously a lot of similarities in the styles of racing a lot of differences too but there are similarities there that obviously can't be denied how can they how can they capitalize on some of that momentum well I think I, I think it works um, kind of in two ways where IndyCar has to continue to put on a great product right and and be open to having 
tests and facilitating tests with some of these drivers in Formula One who, as you said, they don't have a path to a Ferrari or a Red Bull or a Mercedes. They might have some budget in their own pocket. They might have some investors who are willing to take them into IndyCar to allow them to do their thing in IndyCar. I think IndyCar has to be open to that. I think they have to um, help facilitate that that kind of testing. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I if I were one of those junior Formula One series drivers, I, I would look at IndyCar and I would look at it very closely. And I'll tell you why, right? So in the last seven years, Mercedes has won. Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton have won the, the series title, right? Seven years in a row. It's unheard of in any other series. Right. Past couple of seasons, your winners either coming from Mercedes or Red Bull in Formula One. This year, your winner is going to come from Ferrari or Red Bull, right? That's just the nature of what it is. In IndyCar, nine drivers won races last year in 17 events. Yeah. Right? If you're a guy who's who's going to, you know, trundle around in the mid to back field like that, I don't know why you wouldn't want to try to get yourself into something like that where you're going to give yourself a better than average shot to win something like that. This year alone in for, in in IndyCar, we have four different winners in five events. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's impressive Indy- stuff. I mean, every sport in America has the quest for parity, and you could make the argument that nobody does that better than IndyCar for exactly that reason. I agree. I, I think NASCAR with the new car might be getting a little bit closer to that. With yeah. this year's car. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I, th- I think that maybe they've kind of rushed it a little bit. I, I think they could have maybe taken a little bit more time and ironed out some of the bugs. But uh, but again, that's a that's another discussion for another podcast. <laughs> you know, we talk about Formula One drivers coming over to race in IndyCar. Uh, I read an interview with Romain Grosjean not too terribly long ago where he talked about, you know, he started noticing IndyCar obviously like a lot of folks when Alonzo started coming over to run the Indianapolis 500, but even then he was kind of under the impression that, well, they run circles over there. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until he really started following the series that he was like, Oh no, no, no. They, they run road and street courses almost most of the time. Contrast that with, you know, your average kid sitting in a dirt track somewhere in Indiana circles are what we know, you know, circles are what we grew up on circles are what we grew up watching, you know, in your mind, what makes for the perfect IndyCar schedule? Where do you strike that balance between ovals and road courses, street courses? And Tim, I'll actually give you lead on this one, man. What are your thoughts on this subject for scheduling? Well, the first thing to, you need to do is bring back Cleveland at Burke Lake Front Airport. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yep. So I I, I like the series, how it, it, it has the road courses, streets, and ovals. I like the balance today, me personally. I know there's a lot of IndyCar fans that would like to see more ovals. Mm-hmm. I I think back in the day when you had Pocono, you had Michigan, International Speedway, California Speedway, all of those. I think you could bring back another 500-miler, so put that in the schedule. I do like Phoenix. Um, I know they've redone that. So a couple more ovals. um, But otherwise, I wouldn't touch what you're doing on the street courses and um, the road courses. You know, when you look at uh, Road America, that track and how great that is. Obviously, we have Detroit coming up here in June. Uh, That's a street course that is moving back downtown, which is great to see because that's going to help with businesses here in the local market. And us being a podcast based out of Metro Detroit, we love to see that stuff. But I think overall, like 
the older generation of um, fans really like the ovals. So I think you need to bring a few of those back. But otherwise, when it comes to road and street, I wouldn't get rid of any of them at this point. I think they bring a good balance and it really uh, differentiates yourself from NASCAR and obviously Formula One when you have all these different uh, tracks that these drivers get to drive on. Agreed. Dan, how about you? You got thoughts on the ideal IndyCar schedule? Oh, absolutely. This is a long bike ride debate between Tim and I on ovals. I I don't want ovals just for ovals sake, right? Like I, I, you know, I don't have that, that romanticism for like a Milwaukee mile coming back or, you know, I'd love to see Michigan come back because yeah, I live right here and I've been there. But I, I, I'm not that romantic about it, you know, and, and I think I think the reason is, is because, you know, it, the racing has to be good. It has to be compelling. Otherwise, people are never going to tune in. And, and you Agreed. mentioned earlier about Gen Z's and, and millennials. They bore quickly. Yeah. Right. And and you never really have 100 percent of their attention anyway. So so that's that's number one. The second problem that you I have with ovals just for oval sake is a lot of these ovals are built for NASCAR. Yeah. So let's let's just say Michigan as an example, right? You can put a hundred thousand people in the stands at Michigan International Speedway, and for an IndyCar event, you might get thirty or forty thousand. It still looks empty. Yeah. So it really doesn't put on a great show on TV. Like the the optics of it are not great. Yeah. Well, we saw that, that in Texas earlier on this year, which was absolutely great finish, but from mm-hmm. an optic standpoint, was a real black eye for IndyCar. Absolutely. Uh, now, I want to tag on to that. That was something that we talked about earlier. Like, what are some of the things that IndyCar could be doing better? My opinion here is they could be holding their promoters more accountable for local promotion. Right. Uh, I have a number of friends who live in the in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And one who is actually an IndyCar fan, he comes to the Indy 500 every year, has for, for decades, right? He didn't even realize that IndyCar was running at Texas that weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's embarrassing. Yeah, I've seen some stones thrown at uh, at Penske Entertainment because, if I'm not mistaken, they promote most of these. Do they not? I think they promote some of them, but no. Texas, the the responsibility for that Texas race lies with Texas. Okay, so that would be Speedway Motorsports Inc. Then looking at you, Mark exactly. Smith. <laughs> yep. So, all right. Well, you know, we talked about you know what makes F1 great, uh, what makes NASCAR great. To me, the model for IndyCar moving forward, and I'll let both of you guys kind of weigh in on this, I think this is it. I think striking a nice balance between ovals and between road courses. I think, you know, since the dawn of time, race fans have argued and debated which discipline of motorsport takes more skill to turn left and right or to continually turn left with somebody breathing down your throat and your bumper every step of the way. IndyCar has the ability to answer that unequivocally by saying to be a champion in our sport, you have to do both. You have to race ovals, you have to race street courses, road courses, and you have to be good at both. And I think that is the hill that NASCAR should plant their, or that IndyCar should plant their flag on and say, we are that series. You have to do both in order to be our champion. That's what makes us different. And that's what makes us the best when you pair it with the level of parity that we see week in and week out among our ranks. Uh, on the starting grid. Tim, you agree with that statement that the the balance is what makes IndyCar IndyCar and that should be the formula moving forward for success? Ian, I agree 100% on that. That's what makes IndyCar so desirable. That's what makes it 
so difficult for drivers to win that championship as you're on three different disciplines. Yeah, road and street are sort of the same, but they're really not. It's permanent versus uh, going through streets that you and I would drive our cars on. Um, and I think uh, to that point, I think you need to expand outside of uh, the U.S. borders. I know we've got Toronto, but you know we've, we've been in Mexico before. We'd love to go back down to Mexico. Um, even overseas in Australia at one time, the series went there. So if you could do a little bit of that into the season as well, that would help, uh, I think, in, in really attracting more fans and, and different drivers to come to the series and really follow it. So uh, 100% behind you on that. Dan, how about you? Oh, totally agree. 100%. I, I think the, the disciplines required for a road course, a street course, an oval, big and small, I, I think is really what what makes IndyCar stand out versus any other top tier motorsports. Yep. Could not agree more. Well, you can't talk about IndyCar without talking about the Indianapolis 500. And it is May. So we are getting ready to lock and load. Qualifying starts here in the next few days. We just had the Indy GP to kick off the month on the Indy road course. Dan, I'll start with you on this one, man. In your mind, what are the big headlines heading into this year's running of the Indianapolis 500? Well, I, I think first you really have to look at Elio Castroneves and can he win a fifth Indy 500? Mm-hmm. You know, he's extraordinarily popular. Uh, and it and and it's been since 1992 when Rick Mears was last on deck yeah. to try to go for a fifth win at Indianapolis. Absolutely. Tim, how about you? You got any major storylines you're looking at heading into this year's running of the Brickyard? Yeah, I think if you look at Jimmy Johnson, uh, he's a he's natural. Uh, he, he's interest. Uh, the fans are interested in what he brings to the series and the Indy 500 in particular. He struggled on road and street courses, and it and it, he showed really well at Texas. So that's a really a, a headline to look at here at IndyCar is can he um, come into this race and do well? And if he could win, he'd be the oldest driver to win the Indy 500 as a rookie. So you got to look at that. He's 46 years old and he's had great pace just the last couple of days. And I think he's going to do well with what we saw him do in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. I um, obviously being a, a longtime NASCAR guy, Jimmy Johnson is uh, is one of the greats. He would definitely be on the Mount Rushmore of, uh, of NASCAR Cup Series racing seven championships. I also think he's a hell of a nice guy, or seems to be. And from people that I've spoken with in the NASCAR garage, nobody has a bad word to say about Jimmy Johnson. So I'm rooting for the guy, and I've rooted for him ever since he got to IndyCar to find success, because I think he's just a great ambassador for racing. Having said that, you know, at age 45, I don't come off of my couch too much for sporting events anymore, all right? I've seen it. I've done it. I root, and I'll pump a fist from time to time, a la maybe a little Tiger Woods action, you know? But 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 the jubilation, all right, alcohol-induced or not, just doesn't happen as often as it did when I was 22, you know? But uh, but I got to tell you, last year when, when Elio took the checker, I, I told my wife with about 40 to go, because she's, she's a race fan, but she was never a big IndyCar fan. I said, you watch this. I said, if this guy wins this race, you're going to see emotion on camera like you've never seen before. And when he crossed the checkered flag, man, I, I came off of my couch and, and gave a giant whoop right in the middle of my living room. It was a great time. So, uh, Elio, Jimmy Johnson, we got any other favorites that we're looking for to win this race or uh, possibly maybe even a dark horse? Tim, I'll give you lead on this one. What do you think? 
Yeah, I, there's there's a lot of people to watch. I, I really think if you look at uh, Marco Andretti, he's sort of a dark horse, but what a great story that would be to get an Andretti back in victory sure. lane. So that is something to watch. And, and I think people would get off of their couch, just like you mentioned, if he was to cross the line first. And again, he's just doing a one-off Indy 500, but he's got the backing of his father and his grandpa, of course, and that team, which has... Uh, a wonderful engineering group and is very, very quick around Indianapolis. So that would be good. And even from a Formula One perspective and a guy that does everything, JPM, Juan Pablo Montoya, he's a past winner twice to see what he does in the Aero McLaren. I know they didn't have a great uh, time last year, but uh, if he came out and won, that would be good to see. And I wouldn't call him a dark horse. I just call him an experienced veteran that uh, is one to watch out for. All right, Dan, how about you, man? Any dark horses or secondary favorites that you're looking for in this one? This is where Tim faints because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my, Tim's favorite guy who doesn't have a full-time <laughs> drive, and it's Santino Ferrucci. Hey! Yikes. love that guy. <laughs> so I Santino, love that guy, too. He is he's, amazing. He is amazing. He's very fast. Uh, he's very young. I mean, he's insanely capable around this track. He's got five starts. Average finish of an 8.4. His worst finish is 11th. Right. I, you know, can you call that a dark horse? Maybe. Yeah. But, man, he's he's very quick and very capable around Indianapolis. Yeah, I, I would wager they don't like him a whole lot in, in Formula One country after some of the comments that he dropped lately in an interview about his time over in Europe. He didn't really pull any punches on that. He was like, yeah, they didn't want me over there. I don't know what to tell you. They just didn't like yeah. me. They don't like any of us over there. We're just invading their turf, and that's why they give us the cold shoulder. Like, all right. Santino, tell me, tell me what you really think here, buddy. I need you don't to be a little bit more candid. Yeah, don't don't candy coat this for me. So, all right, well, yeah. now's the big time. Now I'm going to nail you guys down. All right, you're the pros, so let's have it. Dan, I'm going to start with you. Who's winning the Indianapolis 500? All right, so I, I have to qualify this because I've been saying since last year's Indianapolis 500 that Graham Rahal would uh, take the checkered flag at the uh, 2022 Indianapolis 500. Okay. But – on a more realistic standpoint, I I am gonna go with the guy I've been calling all all or more recently than ever, Will Power. Okay, all right, all right, Grizzle veteran Tim. Oh, yeah. How about you, man? Who's winning this year's Indianapolis Five Hundred? And from my perspective, I got a five-time winner winning this uh, race, so I've got Elio Castro Navas, and it's going to be a wonderful story. And the fence was going to be climbed, and they're going to climb to the other side, and they're going to run through the stands. It is going to be a glorious day uh, that Sunday on Memorial Day when we go there to watch the race. So I've got him winning. My other dark horse or somebody that I think could pull this off is Renus VK. Okay. Uh, I just think he's really fast and he's on the right team for this Indianapolis 500 and uh, they could potentially pull this off too. Awesome. Ian, who do you like? Who do I like? Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the heartstrings and I'm going to call Jimmy Johnson. I think it'd be a magnificent story. It would be right up there with F1 Miami uh, as story of the year in motorsports over here. Oh, anyway. yeah. I, I think if he won the Indianapolis 500, uh, that is the kind of, that's a, that's a dream scenario for Indianapolis uh, in some respects. And, you know, IndyCar fans don't, don't throw rocks at me for this in some more respects that could do more for the sport than Elio winning number five. Uh, 
You know, we all know Elio. We love Elio. We can revel in the history that is Elio winning number five. But if your goal is to, to grow the sport into places where it hasn't gone before, let Jimmy Johnson win the Indianapolis 500. That would do some things. Plus, like I said, I just I, I had a chance. We had Corey LaJoy on this program actually about a year or so ago. And he and I were chatting off mic about, you know, just some of the other folks in the garage. And he just gushed about what a great competitor, but a great guy Jimmy was. And, uh, and so I root for people like that. So I'm going to go with Jimmy Johnson and hope for the best. I did have one additional question though, for you guys, we kind of started off the top on this interview on, you know, kind of a, a grand bird's eye view of American motorsport, not just IndyCar. And we touched upon kind of the, the values that are the NBC television deal for IndyCar. A lot of television news going on right now. You've got F1 who's in the midst of debating their next contract with ESPN. Apparently others are coming out of the woodwork to try and capitalize on that and steal that deal. And then you've got NASCAR who's going to be coming up uh, on the end of their television contract. Uh, I think it's in 2024. And maybe this is a reach, but I think that's the contract that makes or breaks NASCAR's future. I think they have a lot riding on that deal. And if they don't get any more interest on that contract than they got for their title sponsorship when Monster Energy left, I think that sport's in real, real trouble. Uh, but having said all of that, you know, Dan, I'll start with you on this, man. Big game of musical chairs here for 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 motorsports and television. How do you see this shaking out? Who are the big winners? And we got any losers here? Well, I, I think I think IndyCar is definitely a big winner because they are not they've shown no hesitance at all to explore and utilize and drive everything they can through Peacock if they need to. Yeah. Whatever it is to, to do that. And Peacock gives you a little bit more flexibility where you're not up against, you know, windows, right? Time windows. Yep. Um I think NASCAR could be a loser here. And and I, I wanna say this about NASCAR is I think what NASCAR should be driving for in their next TV deal should be one partner. Because what for me, and I'm not necessarily a big NASCAR fan, but I'll watch it if I find it. But man, yeah. lately I feel like I can't find it. Yeah. I don't know if it's on Fox. I don't know if it's on NBC. I don't know if it's on FS1 or right. USA or where even. And I couldn't, I know I have USA, but I couldn't tell you what channel it is. Yeah. Yep. So. You know, to me, I think I think NASCAR could potentially be the big loser here if they're going for that big pot of gold again and start breaking up their their TV package. Right. Well, based on their viewership numbers, I don't see any reason why they would have the ability to demand that when they sit down at the bargaining table. Tim, how about you, man? Do you see any big winners or any big losers in all this? I mean, there is there is a school of thought out there that if NBC gets into the F1 game, that could screw IndyCar. That all of a sudden they become the kind of the kid on the back seat, just watching everything happen in front of them. You got any thoughts on how this is going to shake out? Yeah, I think uh, that could be a potential uh, area where IndyCar would have to worry about that. But the partnership thus far with NBC, I've really enjoyed it. I love that uh, they bring the big names in for the 500. You're going to have Mike Tirico there, who's known across the world, right, from his perspective and yep. going to major events. So. Um, from the perspective of NASCAR, I agree that they really need to clamp down and go with one network so that way their folks know where it is. I think they need to go into a little more of the streaming aspect as well. I think IndyCar's done a great job with Peacock. I like F1 where it is on Sky, and obviously it's uh, coming through ESPN um, commercial-free, which is something you don't really see in America at all. So that's sure. that's that's big, right? If you can sit down and watch an entire race and never have to break away for a commercial. So 
I, I don't see any of the other series being able to do that. But uh, overall, I like where IndyCar's at, and um, I'm not I'm not anticipating that F one's going to uh, stomp on the IndyCar toes and uh, sort of take over. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I I agree that. Um, that the F1 on ESPN in its current form to me is really the best way to have it. Sure. But, and I, I do believe future wise, I think ESPN will do what they can do to, to hang on to it. And I think they'll also bleed some pieces into ESPN plus, but here's, here's kind of the monkey wrench. If I'm not mistaken, and I, I, I don't, I don't want to look it up cause I don't want to seem preoccupied, but if I'm not mistaken, I think sky is also owned by NBC universal. Okay. So right. that that could be a monkey wrench in into the future of it. But hey, if if ESPN is willing to pony up and take that Sky broadcast again, I, I don't know why NBC would suddenly get uh, you know territorial about it. Sure. Yep. Well, fellas, I really appreciate the time. Before I let you go, I did want to throw uh, Mike back out to my co-host Kevin Steverson, who's uh, also a race fan, has kind of been tagging along on this and just listening. Kev, any questions? I didn't ask these gentlemen that uh, you want to come in and catch my back on. Yeah, I, I do got a question I, I wanted to ask. You know, I, I'm a NASCAR fan, and and compared to to you know the Indy racing qualifying and the pole position is a lot simpler in NASCAR because Lord have mercy, you got to have a dang degree or, or something to figure out the pole qualifying <laughs> for the Indy this year. And I'm talking you know fast twelves and fast sixes and this and that and and, and uh, look. The fastest car is going to be on the pole. How are you guys figuring that out? They're talking about five minutes and electric fans and cooling <laughs> engines. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? So, somebody explain that to me. And, and listen, use small words. <laughs> yeah. I, Never I mind think... the fact that Kevin is a multi-time best-selling author and award-winning songwriter. Don't let that country boy <laughs> act for you. Hey, um, I, I'll take the first part of that. I'll let Tim chip, uh, chip in as well. But, I, I think that's kind of a, a holdover from when there weren't, you know, when there was, they needed to create a little bit more drama at the Indy 500. They weren't sure how the teams were going to line up. The the more exciting teams, there was big discrepancies in terms of the teams qualifying near the front versus those in the back that were just field fillers. And I think some of that was manufactured um, anxiety, you know, that they were trying to bring out to the crowd to sort of reach back to those days 20 years ago where, you know, qualifying pole day was, was just nonstop and it was just something crazy, insane, you know, exciting. And it just not the same. There's 33 cars. Everybody's going to make it. Yep. Absolutely. Bump day is not what it used to be. Nope. Absolutely. That's correct. Hey, Kevin, I don't want to try to explain it to you, like the whole way they're doing the the qualifying this year and what they've done in the past, the fast 12. I did, you know, there's a few things that they are doing that I do like, from a, a serious perspective, the top 12 are getting points uh, for qualifying. So these teams are obviously going to be in it to, to win it. There's a $100,000 bonus. But I like the old traditional way. I like um, qualifying and bump day. And I know we don't have enough cars this year for bump day, but uh, I, I'm okay going back to the way it was. But I think it's the series trying to manufacture some excitement here. And um, hopefully it does, but it is confusing for the fan, and I wish they would simplify it. 
look on the bright side, at least you don't have the rules package for the NASCAR All-Star Race, which takes a freaking abacus to be able to understand. Well, Dan Maldonado, <laughs> Tim Rayner, uh, Turn 4 Podcast, greatly appreciate you guys coming on. This has been an absolute treat for me personally to be able to have this conversation with you guys. Anytime I can get around a pair of pros, pros to be able to talk racing, it is a good day for me. So, as noted at the top of the show, you are on YouTube. Uh, you can also be accessed via audio through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, most of the major platforms. Any other place folks is, uh, need to come find you? And also, where can they find you guys on social media? You find our, our Twitter handle is 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 a little bit more complicated. Sorry, because we're IndyCar guys, so we have to make it complicated. <laughs> it's Turn 4 Podcasts. It doesn't end in a T. It's a one. Turn 4 Podcasts 1 at uh, on Twitter. And then uh, you can find us on Instagram at uh, at Turn 4 Podcast as well. And then even our website, Turn 4 the number four podcast.com. Awesome. Awesome. Tim, how about you, man? Where can we find you on the socials? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a social media guy. So if you're looking at our Twitter handle, or you're looking at our Instagram, that's where you can find us. Right. So we've got all of that out there and everything runs into our website as well that Dan mentioned. Uh, that's where we're at and, uh, we love feedback. So if there's any listeners that want to give us feedback, you can do that right on our website or through Twitter. We'll respond and our um, YouTube page, right? So we've got a great uh, YouTube channel site and uh, all of our rec- all of our recordings that are audio are also video. So you can actually watch Dan and I for those that are really twisted and want to see us. Um, <laughs> you can watch us out there. So uh, that was something that we decided to gain some more interest and it's really kicked off. And um, we get a lot of comments through that and respond to that. So we love fan interaction. Uh, we will be at the Indy 500, so uh, if you want to see us out there, we'll be between turns one and two, not turn four, unfortunately, but one and two is where we're going to be at, and uh, we'll be out there uh, enjoying the activities with everybody else. Awesome, man. Well, Dan Maldonado, Tim Rayner, the Turn 4 Podcast. Race fans, go find them. They are quality stuff. Thanks for coming on the Hyperspace, boys. We greatly appreciate it. We'll see you next time. You bet. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having us. And that's going to bring us on down to halftime, where we give some love to our presenting sponsor, that, of course, being Chris Kennedy Publishing. To know more about their books and their series, folks, go check them out. Military, sci-fi, space opera, post-apocalyptic, dystopian, high fantasy, they got it all. It's chriskennedypublishing.com. This week, however, we are looking at a brand new release, or spotlighting a brand new release from PAPOT, Paul, as we call him. This is uh, book six in the wildly popular Abner Fortis ISMC series. It's called Tango 2-2. So military sci-fi fans, this is another one that is right up your alley. And again, this series is hotter than a firecracker right now. So, Kevin, what can you tell me about Tango 2-2 from P.A.P. All right. Yeah, that's his latest release. But before we do that, let me just throw this out there real quick. I'm thinking Juan Pablo Montoya. Is going really? to win Indy Five? Yes, I, I just, I just feel it. He's got a great car. He's got a lot of experience, and I just, I think it's his time to, to I think he's just going to win it. Okay, well, you know what, um, sir? Apologies that I did not, uh, did, did not bequeath to you the platform to make your pick. <laughs> I mean, on the heels of all the success that you've had on this show of picking sporting <laughs> events, it really does uh, seem like the least I could have done. But I'm glad you could <laughs> not so subtly slide that in there for us. <laughs> Tango two two, sir. Pay the bills. What are we talking? <laughs> about here what are we doing <clears throat> when diplomacy fails send in the space marines the maltani homeworld has been plunged into civil war the anti-human nationalists have driven the royalists out of power and forced the government into exile aboard a maltani fleet orbiting the planet on terror earth war fever grips the populace 
opportunistic politicians and war profiteers manipulate public opinion to demand the United Nations of Terror get involved. It's a war everyone wants, and it's a war everyone will get. Brevet Captain Abner Fortas takes command of Tango Company, 2nd Battalion, 2nd Regiment, Tango 2-2. Just in time to join the fight, Tango 2-2 is a reconnaissance company, and their mission is to lead the way for the invasion force. The entire fighting force of the ISMC, 9 divisions, 45,000 Space Marines, is depending on Fortas and Tango Company to succeed in the face of overwhelming odds. It's a risky strategy, but if they can do it, the payoff is nothing less than the liberation of the Maltani from their nationalist oppressors. Fortis is reunited with his trusted comrade and space marine extraordinaire, Gunnery Sergeant Peter Yastrzemski. Together, they lead Tango 2-2 on an increasing desperate gambit as the invasion stalls and they're stranded behind enemy lines. With no good options, they do what space marines always do. Pick a bad one and execute. After all, they're paid to do it, not like it. There can be no, fa- there can be no failure. Win or die. Denley. There you go. Well, again, folks, that is Tango 2-2, brand new book out from P.A. Piot, book six in the Abner Fortis ISMC series. If you want to check it out, look right there in the show notes. we got a link hot and ready for you to check out, take you straight to the Amazon page, and you can get it, get it, get it. Other notes happening around the world of Chris Kennedy Publishing. We have an additional new release this week in the form of Runners. This comes from William Allen Webb and Kayla Krantz. This is book one of a brand new post-apocalyptic series called The Core, and um, early buzz particularly from Bill Webb, is that this is really solid stuff. So, dystopian folks, get on it, man. Runners, brand new book from William Allen Webb, Kayla Krantz, Core Series, good stuff. Also got new things happen in audio this week. We have, speaking of the Abner Fortis IMC series, uh, book number five called Diplomacy from Paul Piat. You can go grab that on Audible, iBooks, all the usual destinations. We also have the latest uh, or um, In the Service of Luna, which is book four of the Lunar Free State series from John E. Sears. I want to say there's another installment in that out already for ebooks if you want to grab that but the audio books uh, audiobooks in the service of luna is out and ready to rock and roll again that's from john e sears uh, you'd be hard pressed honestly to find two hotter series right now at ckp than lunar free state and abner fortis imc uh those are those are big ones folks uh other news happening around the world of chris kennedy publishing and this is a fun one man youtubers CKP is on YouTube now. So big shout out to the lovely and talented Miss Marisa Wolf for uh, for spearheading that. She's already put out a couple of interviews that have been a blast to watch. Uh, one with our very own Rob Howe talking about his contribution to the uh, Hit World Valkyrie series. There's another interview up with a friend of the program, Casey Azell, and some of the stuff that she's got going on. And again, that's all on YouTube, and you can see their faces, which are frankly much prettier than ours. So go check it out. Again, that's Chris Kennedy Publishing on YouTube. Check it out. And I also want to give a quick shout out to Jeremy, who is uh, Maurice's husband. He's the guy doing all the production work behind the scenes on that. And as the guy who does all the production work, uh, behind the scenes on this show, I can tell you that's not a small ordeal. A lot of work goes into that. So shout yeah. out to Jeremy. You're kicking it, man. You're doing great yeah. work over there and keep it up. He's such a great guy, too. Oh, yeah, good, man. Good dude. Yep. For yeah. an LSU Tigers fan. But well, you know, n- it, another yeah. another story for another podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh. Let's see what the listeners got to say, shall we? You've got mail. 
All righty. Shout out to the folks at the International Association for Science Fiction and Fantasy Authors for presenting the Podmail segment of the show. Uh, folks, speaking of free books, man, they've got an awesome one coming up here, May 22nd through 26th. Uh, post-apocalyptic dystopian fans, they've got a huge free book promo coming out. Again, that's only going to be out from May 22nd to May 26th, so make sure you get up on that. Way you find out about it, go to the website, iasfa.org, sign up for their newsletter. That way you can stay uh, informed on not only this, but also all of the many other book giveaways that they do. And they do about one a month. So again, if you're in that crew of folks that's, you know, you're, you're cutting back right now and you're tightening the belt, IASFA is there for you. Again, uh, website is iasfa.org. Make sure you go there, sign up for their newsletter, and they will shoot you links, everything you need to know about how to get you some free books, man. So thanks again to those folks for uh, promoting the program. Writers also, if you're not an IASFA member, it's free, dude. Get up on it. Seriously, there's some great community to be made over there, so go check them out. Website one more time, iasfa.org. First question comes to us from Corey, and I had to know this one was coming as soon as I cracked my email open today. Hey, fellas, Nick versus Jimbo Fisher. Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher. Go. Kevin, you are an SEC guy, so I'm going to let you take first crack at this one, man. I This was everywhere on sports radio today. It lit social media on fire when Jimbo Fisher held his press conference. Uh, real quick, actually, I should probably do this before I throw it to Kevin. For those who are following at home, I've been living under a rock lately. Nick Saban made some comments. Head coach of Alabama made some comments um, to the press. I guess it was on Monday that basically Texas A&M just went out and bought their entire recruiting class with five-star athletes. They just went out and spent about $30 million and just paid to play because that's what you can do now in the era of name, image, and likeness is you just go out and headhunt and offer people more, you know, more money than the next school. And you're going to get those recruits. Jimbo Fisher took umbrage with that and came out guns blazing today at a press conference to defend his staff and his program. And there were some harsh words. If you have not heard this, that is a sounder you're going to want to go listen to. All nine minutes of it, it's freaking crazy. So, Kevin, back to you, man. Jimbo Fisher versus Nick Saban. I sent you the clip. You had a chance to read up on it and get the backstory on this. What were your thoughts on this, man, as an SEC guy? Well, as an SEC guy, I mean, first of all, there's one team that's sort of new to the SEC. So, um, I just want to throw that part of it out there. Okay. But the thing is, is that NIL, that, that whole thing, it does let somebody pay, pay to play. I mean, you, you tell a kid, yeah, we've got the local car dealership and they're looking for a few top people. And if you come to our school, this is what's going on. That's happening. That crap is happening. Sure. Um, you know, and, and, and traditionally in the top five or six in, in recruiting, it's always been Alabama. It's always been your Ohio's um, of late Clemson, Georgia, that kind of thing. Um, you know, Georgia was in a top three the two years before this NIL started. Yep. And it's going on now. And so, you know, there's probably some of that happening in Athens, too, because a lot of alumni got some money. But on the flip side of that, how come Vanderbilt doesn't have a hell of a class? Because right. they got a lot of big money alumni. That could be doing the exact same thing, but it's not happening. So I don't, I don't know, you know, where, where, you know what I mean? Is it within the rules? Is it legal? Yeah. Is it good? No, I don't like it at all. Right. I don't like it at all. Um, I'd rather it be, you know, how, you know, is it a good school? Uh, do they have a good record? Do they got a chance of winning and that kind of thing? Right. Um, 
you know, for, for a school like that to get the number one class. Yeah, something was going on with that NIL because it's not based on their on, on their on their record and their, ch- their shot at a national championship as opposed to, say, your Georgias or your Ohio States or whatever right now. Right. Well, I mean, listen, in his defense, all right, and we know him well down here in Tallahassee, Jimbo Fisher's an incredible recruiter. He is a world-class recruiter. Miami fans hated him for his entire time here. And I've heard I've heard recruiters who were Miami alums who would say – We'd be sitting in a living room for a kid trying to recruit him to get him to come to Coral Gables and somebody'd knock on the door and Jimbo was outside and we would just hang our heads because we knew we're done. As soon as he walks through the door, we're done here. If if this kid hasn't said yes to us before he enters the room, we're screwed. That was how much they feared him on the recruiting trail. And obviously, you know, Saban comes along in Alabama and really gets the ball rolling there. And that that started to change things. But particularly, you know, within the confines of the ACC, Jimbo Fisher decimated all. So, you know, that was the crux of a lot of his argument today. He said a lot of nins, you know nonsensical things, which Jimbo Fisher does when he's pissed off. You know, listen, there's, there's no denying that guy's a raging egomaniac. And when he feels like he's being, you know, he's being confronted with something or he's being questioned, he will go off the rails and God help his handlers uh, who have to, to reel him in because that is not an easy thing to do. He had some extremely crazy things to say about Nick Saban. As in, you want to find out about that guy? Go do some digging around his deal. Look into his past, press corps. Go do some investigating on on the history that is Nick Saban. There are some skeletons in that closet that you're going to find, and you go ask the right people, and you're going to find them. My retort to that would have been, hey, press corps, how come you didn't do your job and ask the guy who was his offensive coordinator for years who was sitting right in front of you at the time? But uh, but I, I digress on that. What were your thoughts on the stuff that Fisher had to say? I know a lot of SEC fans have felt like he was kind of airing some dirty laundry there that he shouldn't have. Uh, yeah, he was. And, and, and some of that stuff is supposed to be behind closed doors. I mean, listen, there's I don't think there's a dang college out there without skeletons in the closet. Nor is there anybody that's moved all the way up to a head coaching position. Let's be honest. I don't, I, you know, whether it's stuff that gets reported, stuff that gets, you know, people find out about, whatever. Right. I, there, there's calls that have been made. There may have been tweets. I don't know much about tweeting these days because that could be kept screenshotted. But, yeah, there's, you know, I don't know. Um, yep. Yeah, some of that stuff should be kept behind closed doors. I, I mean, I thought it was – it made for great theater. I mean, like I said, sports radio was a very entertaining place to be today to listen to people weigh in on this and, and digest it. I guess for me, it all comes down to this. Can we please just put away the, you know, the, can we put away the delusions that this thing hasn't just irrevocably changed? All right. Like I got Jimbo Fisher standing on a mountain saying, we didn't do nothing wrong. We didn't do nothing wrong. It's like how he talks when he gets real animated. It's all about the children, the children. Like Jimbo, just chill out, man. Your voice is cracking on you. All right. Stop it with the platitudes. Stop it with the pre-rehearsed speeches and the talking points. We live in an era now when you can pay players to come to your school. It's legal. It's happening. Just own it. You know, freaking University of Miami is not playing around. You know, and and Saban even referenced this. They run it in the paper. Yep, we're paying a basketball player $400,000 to come to our school. Why? Because we want to freaking win. 
That's what we're doing here. We're paying coaches. We're paying players. We're paying, you know, offensive linemen. Like we're, we're paying anybody under the sun who wants to come here. And that's why our recruiting class went from somewhere in the freaking seventies to in the top 20 inside of a couple of months of Mario Cristobal landing here. It wasn't because he was our coach. It's because we were paying through the freaking nose. And you can do that when you're Miami. So just stop it with the grandstanding, whether you're Jimbo Fisher, Deion Sanders came out. I don't understand why people are accusing us. We don't need to pay our people, you know, to, to come here and, and be part of our people. They wanted to be here. Bull crap. There's no way Travis Hunter is going to Jackson State unless Barstool Sports isn't paying him seven figures to go there. Just own it, man. It's legal now. You're not going to get in trouble. And even in the states where there are still weird laws as to how all this stuff is managed, like Florida, um, nobody's coming for you. All right. The NCAA has no no teeth. Nobody's going to punish you. So let's just out with it. You know, and, and all of that kind of brings me to the, the final point that I think this is the thing that if they're not careful, this is going to kill college football. It really will. And I've heard lots of people like, you know, God bless them, Rob Howe, talk about how this is basically we've entered the kind of a climate of, you know, professional sports, the NFL, Major League Baseball. And and I agree with that on the principle that, you know, players should be able to, you know, to, to get paid for their name, image, and likeness. I agree with that on face value. But if you honestly didn't see this coming where recruits were going to, you know, where recruiters were going to use this to get recruits to come to their school or go tamper with players who are already on other rosters. If you didn't see this coming, then you're an idiot. Okay, this is the way it, this is the way this was going to go down without proper regulation. And the NCAA was nowhere to be found. So, you know, this needs to be regulated. They've got to find common ground. Never mind the fact that this doesn't help all players. This helps your, you know, your superstar players. They get paid. If you're a third string offensive tackle at Vanderbilt, you ain't making no money. All right. No, no small business wants to pay you to be the face of their, you know, the face of their company. So, you know, I would like something that's frankly more fair and equitable for all college athletes, not just the star quarterbacks named Young who go to Alabama or the guys named Jones who go to Georgia or, you know, pick your school, pick your superstar five-star athlete. I would like something that's more fair. Um, I do think it's rather fitting that the, the messenger for all of this doom and gloom stuff is Nick Saban. <laughs> that's yeah, really, that's yeah. rather comical to listen to him gripe <laughs> because that's basically you've got to know. I mean, if you read between the lines, that's what that whole speech was to that group of, of press and boosters. That was him yeah. saying, guess what? All right. We were able to recruit. We were able to sell facilities and do the things that we needed to do and sell our success in order to get recruits here and build the dynasty. That's not going to be enough anymore. Look at Texas A&M. So get ready to open those super deep wallets of yours in Tuscaloosa and get ready to start paying up because that's what it's going to take if you want to keep us on top of the mountain. That's what that was. Right, right, right. So it, it all yeah. translates to something that I just I don't like where college football is at now. And it makes it very difficult for me to care because I know my school, Florida State. All right. We just lost a legacy in Marvin Jones, Jr. to the Georgia Bulldogs. And it wasn't because he didn't want to come to Florida State. It's because we couldn't pay him nearly the amount of money in NIL that Georgia could. And so he went to Athens and it's, and I don't blame him for that. If I'm an 18 year old kid and somebody's throwing a six figure, seven figure deal at me, that's where I'm going. You bet your hard earned dollar. I'd go to Jackson state if Barstool sports wanted me. So it makes sense. I just, I don't think it's fair. You know, if you're, if you're a fan of somebody other than an sec or a big 10 school, you really don't have much of a prayer right now. You're not going to compete. 
So you would think that the UCLA's and the you you know and colleges like that had money. I mean, big money. Yeah, alumni. I'm surely Notre and, Dame's got big money alumni. Come on, and and they may well may well get involved. But here's what you run into. All right, and I know people get tired of listening to me beat this drum, but it it's you can't argue with math, dude. The SEC and the Big Ten make so much more money from ESPN and their television contracts that they have deeper coffers than people who play in the ACC and the Pac-12 and the Big 12. It's just the simple fact of it. That's the way that it is. Now, what they choose to do with that money is on them, you know, i.e. Your, your Vanderbilt example there. But, um, but until that changes – you know, and, and I've used this analogy before. It'd be like if the NFL gave more money to the NFC East because, you know, the Giants are there and the Cowboys are there and Philly's there and Washington's there. If they gave 20% more television revenue to that conference or that division than they did all the other divisions. What do you do then if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Miami Dolphins? Like, you're not playing on an even playing field. Like You, yeah, you, you really can't. Yeah. So until we can level that out, man, there's not going to be any parity here. And if you thought there was only three or four teams in college football that could compete for a title before, buckle up, because that's all it's going to be now moving forward. And that sucks. Right. But I wanted to throw this one thing out. Um, Stetson Bennett, quarterback for UGA, you know, when he got got an NIL deal, he he he's dividing that amongst his team. Well, good there for are, him. There are third string long snappers that are getting a cut of that because he's like, no, you know, it's, this is a team thing. And so, and that's not going to happen very often. That's probably yeah. few and far between. Nice to spotlight yeah. those stories though. Yeah. I, I like the fact that he did that, you know, and it may not be a lot per, but you know, you give a college kid who's there on a scholarship two grand and, and that's, you know, that's, that that's the difference in eating ramen or eating macaroni and cheese, you know? Sure. Well, you're, I mean, let's face it, dude, if you're, if you're a, an athlete at Georgia, you're not eating ramen and mac and cheese. Oh, right? I know. You're would going you, to the you? training table there at the athletic center and you're right. going to eat better than every other college kid on campus. Right. So but let's, you know what I mean, let's though, not yeah. pretend like I don't like the phrase unpaid labor when right. you're talking about college athletes. Do I think they should be paid a wage? Sure. Just like every other college kid that works right. a part-time job for extra money while in school, but don't have any illusions. All right. I'm saving for a college education for my kid now. I know how expensive that crap is. They will never right. have to worry about that. So yeah. in a day and age when we've got people begging the federal government to forgive student loan debt because they're in debt into their 50s paying off a master's degree, these guys never have to worry about that because they right. play a sport. And they get free food, and a lot of times they get free lodging. That ain't a bad way to go for your college career in Athens, Georgia. And oh, by the way, you can pretty well walk into any club and – People are going to look at you. Not a bad place to be if you're a 19-year-old kid. So, all righty. Well, next question. Let's go ahead and shift out of that. Head into a little nerd land. Uh, This question comes to us from Mitch. I was a huge Orphan Black fan, so anything with Tatiana Maslany is automatically going to get a look from me. However, the She-Hulk trailer left me a little underwhelmed. He leaves that with a question mark. Did you guys see the trailer? And if so, what did you think? Uh, Kev, did you see the She-Hulk trailer? I did. Uh, I, I like the fact that it looks like there's going to be just a touch of comedy within the series. Yeah. Uh, and you can tell that just from that, you know, that less than two minute trailer. But I, I, uh, I don't know. You know, even Marvel has the Hulk. He's huge. He's muscular. He's, she's more, I don't yeah. know, just, just regular female bodybuilder type it, instead of being monstrous. It's sex you know? in the city with, with, with 
gamma radiation. Yeah. Like that's yeah. that's how it felt to me. Was very Ally McBeal, Sex in the City with uh with with Marvel and the Marvel formula written all over it. And we talked right. about that with Todd Fonestock when we broke down the Thor Love and Thunder trailer. Marvel's got the formula, man. Like you see it hook, line, and sinker now in everything that they do. Um right. which is I Mitch, I, I'm going to bow out on this one, man. This one just ain't made for me. You know, there's there's a butt for every seat, and they're going to people who are going to love this show, and good for them. That's why it's there. I have seen two trailers for this now, and neither one of them really grabbed me. And and particularly on the heels of this one, I, the tenor of the show, the look of it, the feel of it, I the humor. I just this isn't a show that's written for me, and that's okay. You know, I'll hang out and wait for another one. Like the other thing that apparently is coming, and this broke late this afternoon after I'd closed down the mailbag. Um, Daredevil is coming back on Disney Plus. Variety reported that today that Marvel is moving ahead with a Daredevil revival series on Disney Plus. And now all questions become will Charlie Cox be returning as Matt Murdock? I see no reason why he would not. That right. would seem to be the stupidest thing ever if Marvel tried to reboot Daredevil. And I don't think they will. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put him in Spider Man No Way Home and all that. They would have just let Sleeping Dogs lie. Right. I, I was right. a huge fan of their Daredevil, Daredevil series. Part of it is just because, listen, I'm a legally blind kid. Like I grew up thinking Daredevil was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Like when I, if they ever came up with a surgery that would make me be able to see like everybody else in my class, like first thing I was going to do was go down to the comic book shop and buy a stack of Daredevil comics. Like right, Daredevil, right. Superman, those were my guys. And it was more Superman just because I actually got movies with him and Christopher Reeve. But I was right. a huge Daredevil guy. And I loved the Daredevil series on Netflix. So that made my day when I found out that one was coming back. And yeah, I think I'll they did a word on Charlie. I think they get, did a good job with casting in that in that show, and it even his 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 law partner. I just I, I love that actor. So I, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. So yeah, I can never remember his name. He's one of those that guy actors that you've yes. seen in a number of bit parts. And but I, but he's just yeah, he's a good actor. I like him. Yeah, he's he's a great Foggy Nelson, to be sure. Yes. All right, next question comes to us from Hannah. Uh, here you guys talk a lot about Twitter, but I've always been a little leery of that platform because of its hive of scum and villainy reputation. Uh, now that word is out that Elon may be taking over, I'm considering opening an account. What do you guys think Twitter would look like under the new management if this happens? Um, I've act, I kind of handle social media in my day job in addition to doing it for publishing and podcasting and all that. So I've, I've kind of been keeping an eye on this story. I'm actually really encouraged by this. I really want to see this happen, uh, that, that Musk takes over Twitter. And it's not because of political reasons. It's because from everything I can read, he wants to turn the Twitter profit model into something more akin to MeWe, which is a, a Facebook alternative that you've heard us talk about on this show that I'm actually a big proponent of, even though nobody's on it. Basically, what would happen is all of your accounts would continue to be free, but people who want to use Twitter for commercial reasons or you know, businesses or government agencies or whatever, they're going to be charged a fee for that. So you would pay to have a Twitter business subscription. Uh, currently, they call it Twitter Blue, I believe. They would be charged anywhere from a buck to three bucks, four bucks a month to have a Twitter subscription in order to operate as a business on Twitter. That is how Twitter would make their money, which means that they no longer have to run ads. So no need there to worry about getting your data, your interests, your private. There's no need to track you because as a user now, you no longer are the commodity. All right. They make their money through the subscription model rather than the ad model. 
I love that. And so for that reason alone, I hope this deal goes through. I hope Elon buys Twitter and I hope that change is made because I'm a huge fan of that model. I want to see that happen. Uh, I've also seen ever since word broke of all of this, uh, I will admit to having seen a bit of uptick in my Twitter traffic. Uh, I've gotten new followers. Um, I seem to get a little bit more engagement on my tweets and I've been happy about that. You know, we don't talk politics on this show because this ain't that show and you get enough of that crap in daily life. The one issue I do have with Facebook and Twitter is there is a certain fear out there that if you like the wrong content, you get lumped into a specific group of people and all of a sudden, miraculously, your stuff gets less and less visibility and you see your engagements fall and it's you just get minimal traction. And I'm not saying that was happening with me. All I'm saying is that in the last month, I've seen more Twitter traffic on my content than I've seen in the last year, two years. And that's cool. I'm happy about that because that means you guys who want to follow me are actually seeing my stuff. So thank you for that. And by the way, don't forget to click the little notifications button there on my profile. And it means you'll get a push notification when I tweet. But a lot of talk about this, Kev. Uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter, what it'll be, what it won't, whether to get on it, whether to not. What are your thoughts on this? Because you're on Twitter, but yeah. you're not nearly as active on it as I am. Yeah, I'm not as active. You know, I, I, I uh, a while back, um, I stopped getting as much traction. You know, I have over 7,000 followers on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And when you only have one or two two likes or whatever on a post or whatever, sure. it's like, it makes you, makes you raise an eyebrow and go, what's going on? This ain't... And so it's been, it, it, even with me, mine, I'm getting more traction, more looks, uh, more followers, that kind of thing. So I just, I just like, um, you know, I just like the transparency. Yeah. Listen, if you guys aren't doing anything, if, if the current regime is not doing anything wrong, they're not shadow banning, they're not doing any of those things, show me. Yeah. Show me. No doubt. You know, show me you're not. Yeah. And of course, er, we can't, mm, oh, oh, we're not doing that. Well, right. if he gets it and it's wide open and he, and he has it transparent, I, that's what I like, you yeah. know? Well, again, you know, if you if you switch your business model to more of a, a subscription model from an ad model, that changes everything for me. Um, Hannah, I would note, by the way, one of the reasons why I've just always been more of a Twitter guy than anything else is because, well, I'm legally blind. <laughs> so social networks built on pictures that I can't see on a phone kind of doesn't really do a whole lot for me. Uh, I have a speech reader on my phone that, that allows me to use uh, Facebook and Instagram. Facebook is relatively easy to use. Instagram is an absolute nightmare to use. It's functional, but it sucks. Twitter platform built on text. And I like words. It's kind of why I'm a writer. And so that's why just for navigational reasons and content preferences, I've just always been more of a Twitter guy. But there are tons of authors that like Facebook better. And that's okay. There's a butt for every seat. All right. Next question comes to us from Mark. Uh, howdy, gents. Now that summer is here, I was curious how this impacts your grilling, uh, your grilling tendencies. What are the things that you cook during summer that maybe you don't cook during fall? Any menu suggestions would be much appreciated. Uh, Kev, how about you, man? What, what kind of stuff are you grilling in, uh, in summertime? What's your go-tos? When, when, it, when it gets hot, I, I stick with, you know, your, your, your chicken. Um, I stick with your burgers and your, your, your sausages, whether that's hot dogs, bratwurst, or or any of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much, you know, like I said, burgers, chicken, and dogs. And I, I don't do I don't do a brisket in the summer because you know slow and slow is how those work. Sure. I don't. I definitely don't do my Boston butts because I'm not going to do 12 hours of back and forth checking that thing, internal temperature, regular temperature, and all that. It's just it's just too hot out here in Georgia for that back and mm-hmm. forth like that. So so those are things I tend to do in the cooler weather, and I don't do them in the summer. Same thing with a, with a rack of ribs. You know, I, 
during the summer we get them from places. I don't necessarily do it myself. And it's just, it's just, just one of those things, you know, that's, that's how my menu changes. Talk to me about your chicken. Uh, chicken's one of those things that can take on just about any profile you want. Uh, during uh, summer, a lot of people like those lighter, you know, real poppy flavors. Ooh, so you're going to yes. grill some chicken. What are you doing? I, this is going to blow your mind. So I get a can of uh, frozen orange juice concentrate. Pop that baby open, put it in a bowl, pour in a couple cans of pineapple juice, and I soak the pieces of boneless, uh, skinless chicken breasts for at least four hours in the refrigerator okay. and then grill those. Do you oh. season with any kind of a rub or is yeah. just the, the citrus just, does it's it? Just, it's just the citrus really does it and, and a little bit of sweetness and, you know. Um, sometimes I'll hit it with a little salt, a little pepper, or sometimes I'll hit it with, with maybe, a, uh, you know, kind of a chicken seasoning. It's just designed for poultry, but that just, it's just a little different, different take on chicken for me. And it's that orange, orange chicken basically is what it ends up being. It's really Interesting. good. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm kind of with Kevin, uh, chicken, burgers, dogs, sausages, stuff like that is a, is always a hit in summertime. Uh, I'm a big kebab guy. I I love kebabs, and everybody around the house loves it when I make kebabs. Uh, typically for that, I'll take uh, my chicken breasts or chicken tenders if they're on sale. Chop them up into my my bite sized chunks. I marinate them in Italian dressing, but then I pull them out, drain them off. And I hit them with this stuff called Cavender's Greek Seasoning. Uh, folks who listen to the show probably heard me talk about this before. You can buy it at any grocery store. It's just, it's a really good mild seasoning that a couple of buddies of mine back home here in Florida got me turned on to a number of years ago. And uh, and it just works great with particularly pork and chicken. Uh, it's got some paprika in it. It's got some oregano. It's got a little salt, a little pepper. It's just, it's not a very robust rub at all. It's just got a good flavor that when you marry that with a real mild meat like a chicken and then an Italian dressing to kind of tenderize things up a little bit, it works great. And I shove that on some kebabs with some sliced peppers and onions and maybe some tomatoes, maybe even some pineapple if I'm feeling crazy. And then I weave strips of bacon throughout every kebab, right? Because bacon, let's face it, people, bacon makes everything better. And uh, and then I put those dudes on the grill and away I go. So I there's really not a whole lot that I grill in summer that I won't grill in fall or vice versa. Fall for me really takes on... A lot of slow cooker meals, man. I love chilies and stews and soups and stoops and all that kind of stuff. That's fall weather food for me. Uh, I've used an electric smoker, so I will do Boston butts or ribs or whatever the case may be. Uh, You know, Kevin's a little bit more old school than me on that front. But yeah, that's that's kind of my go to Uh, burgers. I'm all about keeping things simple, man. I am. I'm a I'm a salt, pepper, onion powder and garlic powder. That's it. I may put a little bit of Worcestershire in there, but that's it. I like my burgers. It yeah. tastes like burgers. Yeah, I like I like I like garlic on my burger too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. look, yeah, garlic. All yeah. right, next question comes to us from Bernard. Yo, guys, you talk a lot about places you like to eat and things you like to do on this show, but any suggestions for how to do those things on a budget? My company laid me off last month, and since then, the missus and I have been cutting back on a lot of the extras. I eat dinners out with friends and my occasional bottle of Woody Reserve until I can find work. Thanks for taking my pod mail. Um, yeah, man, date night on a budget, man. Uh, me and the marvelous Mrs. Malone know it well. Uh, we did quite a bit of that early on in our marriage. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with a park. Make yourself a picnic, man. Cook your food at home. Keep the bill down. 
and uh, load up in a nice basket, get you some drinks, put them on ice in a cooler, head out to find a, a nice park somewhere, have yourself a picnic. Um, you know, I'm, we're very lucky that we live on the coast, and so we can just go do a day at the beach if we want. But, you know, coming up with good meals and things to be able to do at home, that's really the biggest cost saver you can have is not eating out. And it sucks because if you're like us, you I love go out and freaking sit around and have a happy hour and a good meal. And that's a that's a great way to pass the time. But uh, but that will get you down in a hurry, particularly cost being what they are now. We went to BW3s a while back, did wings. It was me, Natalie and uh, Xander. Uh, my stepson, and for three of us, no alcohol, no nothing. I mean, just three rounds of wings and chicken tenders with a drink and some potatoes was over $50. So uh, definitely learn how to cook some new meals. Internet is filled with places where you can get new menu ideas and new tricks. Uh, so, so get after that. As far as when you do got to get a meal to go, I'm a huge fan of the Little Caesars Hot and Ready stuff. For six bucks, you get a sausage pie. Uh, you can't get a frozen pie, which is much, is freaking gross for that price. So I do that. Uh, on your Woody Reserve, uh, I would tell you, look toward uh, a buddy of mine here got me turned on to a bourbon called Benchmark, which, believe it or not, comes from Buffalo Trace Distillery in Kentucky. Fantastic stuff. It is my budget bourbon of choice right now. So uh, if you're looking to, to do bourbon on a budget, definitely check out Benchmark. And then, you know, all your usual um, culprits for, you know, for beer and whatnot. I'm a big high life guy when I want to do cheap beer. Um, can't beat it, man. Champagne of Beers has been around for over 100 years. It's good stuff. Uh, Kevin, how about you guys, man? Balling on a budget for date night events, stuff like that. You, uh, you and the missus got any tips for this guy? Well, listen, there, there's there's one thing that especially, you know, early on money was tight um, in between my break and service. Um, but, you know, listen, this is and this is really cheap. You can go get you a, a pack of dogs, pack of hot dogs, some buns, get you some dang coat, coat hangers and start a little fire out there in the, in the little fire pit. And it's a great time. Couple hours shooting the breeze, uh, you know, a cheap, a cheap drink and literally grilling your own hot dogs. You know what I mean? It's one thing it comes off the grill, everybody gets a plate, goes, fixes it. But when you're sitting there and you're holding it yourself and you're grilling your own and you're getting it just as black as you want, I mean, that's a great way to pass the time. And, you know, you can eat a meal for less than 10 bucks when you're going with hot dogs. Sure. You know what I mean? Even for several people. Yep. So it makes a great Friday night. Yep. And again, there's never anything wrong with the dinner and a movie trip either. So Mm -mm. hot and ready pie from Little Caesars, good bottle of Woodbridge, uh, you know, Pinot Grigio, let's say. And uh, and then kick it with a, a nice movie on, you know, 2B or Peacock or any one of those freebie platforms if you're not going to do Netflix or Prime or any of the usual suspects. But uh, but good luck on that, man. I've been laid off from a job before and that sucks. I mean, with a giant, you know what, that just sucks the weenie. So good on you, Bernard. Way to hang in there, man. Just keep your head up. It'll be coming to you. All right. Next question comes to us from Dan. Uh, excuse me, Don, not Dan. That's an O, not an A. Uh, I seem pretty pre- You seem pretty impressed with your latest podcast on the F1 Miami Grand Prix. However, Bernie Ecclestone's comments of late would seem to indicate that not everybody shares your enthusiasm. Uh, what were you? Th- what were your thoughts on his interview? Um, we touched upon this actually just a little while ago with with Dan Maldonado and Tim Rayner from the Turn Four podcast. Uh, Bernie Ecclestone, for those who don't know, was the president and the boss of, of F1 for years and years and years. He's an F1 icon. He's in his 90s now. And um, basically, he was asked, you know, what do you think about F1's growth into America? And specifically, what did you think about the Miami Grand Prix? And he said, and I quote, 
lots of stupid things come out of America, unquote. That right there is pretty well why loads and loads and loads of American race fans for years and years have thought F1 is glorified Euro trash racing. That's it, because of comments like that. That's why Americans have felt for years like F1 didn't want us, didn't need us, and therefore we just didn't need to follow. And we were happy to follow NASCAR and IndyCar and sports car racing and all of the great stuff over here because they did want us. So, you know, F1 Liberty Media has worked very hard to get away from that kind of rhetoric, but occasionally you're going to get dumbass things from dumbass people. And Bernie Ecclestone is definitely a dumbass. It's just my two cents on the matter, but it was a stupid thing to say and he deserves to look like an idiot for it. So, uh, Kev, how about you, man? Do you have any thoughts on good old Burn? Uh, yeah, Field that, burn? That, that guy. I'm just, I'm not even, you know, I'm not even interested in, in, in taking a look at that stuff because <laughs> things like that. So I'm like, you know, we got Indy over here. I'm good. Right. Uh, okay. Shout out to Maya Cleave, editor extraordinaire, and also a fantastic cook. Uh, Bernard, uh, by the way, go back and check out, uh, I want to say it was somewhere in the 40s. We had Maya on talking about editing, but she's also a big cook. And we talked about a lot of things you can do at home on cost savers. Uh, one of the things that Maya likes to do is whenever she'll have a party, she says, inevitably, people bring loads of veggie trays over to her house because like, that's the go-to party favor when you're going to somebody else's place. So when everything's over with, rather than throw all that out, she chops all those vegetables up and freezes them and whenever she needs to make soups and stuff like that boom it's ready and it's it's fresh relatively speaking so uh, anyway good good episode there could help you out uh but maya asks uh i'm always good for a television question have either of you caught the new bosch legacy show on prime or the lincoln lawyer on netflix um i have not actually i have i started the rig the original bosch a while back uh and some other things came up so i just did not get a chance to get back to that i want to finish that before i get into bosch legacy i don't know much about the lincoln lawyer except uh, Shonda Rhimes, I believe it is, Lady Who Created Grey's Anatomy years ago. That's one of her shows. I've seen the trailers on Netflix, but that's about it as far as my knowledge on that show. Um, stuff that we're watching right now, Maya, honestly, we are we are neck deep in Better Call Saul. We've got the mid-season finale coming up on uh, Monday night. That show has gone off the freaking crazy train rails this so far with this being the last season. Um, really, really, really been good. We've also got Stranger Things coming back at the end of the month and Obi-Wan, which obviously I've talked a lot about. And I'm really I'm cautiously optimistic that that's going to be some of the best Star Wars Disney has done. So, uh, Kev, how about you, man? Have you had a chance to check out either of these series? And is there anything else that you're watching right now in TV land? I have not checked them out. I, I did love the Lincoln Lawyer novel, though. Okay. And, and the movie. I, I like the movie. Okay. <laughs> so hopefully they're staying close to, to some of that. I mean, obviously, when you have a series, it, you know, there's a lot more uh, writing involved and a lot more episodes and that kind of thing. So, I mean, how long, how close can you stay to just one novel? Um, but but we'll see. Um, uh, on television, I haven't watched a lot of the newer shows that are coming out. Um, I tend to I tend to watch some of the older stuff. You know, I I, I really love Moonshiners, the show Moonshiners. Okay. Um, you know, and and I, and I don't drink, but I I know it. Uh, I guess I know the industry real well, and, and the making moonshine and that kind of thing. And I'm not saying I could make some. Right. I'm saying you know I may have had a great recipe in the past, but I don't drink anymore. So. <sighs> I gotcha. <laughs> All righty. Final question comes to us from Ricky. You guys offer some fantastic tips to newbie fiction writers on this show, but I also happen to know that at least one of you is a songwriter. Any pointers for someone looking to get into that space of the craft? P.S. You might say that that pod mail question was some real 
Ricky, <laughs> thanks for taking my question. Kevin, I think you have a fan. So yeah, I will I let I, you, I will let you answer this one. Go for it. I think, I think that's aimed at me. Um, listen, it's, it's just like regular writing. You know, you have to write, you have to do it. Um, you just got to sit down and write the song in the room. You don't want to force a song, but you want to write what comes to you. And, there, and there's a lot involved. These days, collaboration is the big thing in writing. So, you know, find a couple other people who want to do the same thing. And you guys sit around with an acoustic or a piano and just write. Um, there's not as many, believe it or not, there's not as many, uh, full-time writers living in the Nashville area, obviously with the internet and everything else, you can send stuff. So they don't have to be in Nashville these days and hanging out on 16th Avenue and all that kind of thing. Um, but collaborations are huge. That's the biggest thing going now. There was a time when songwriters write their own stuff, get it pitched and an artist pick it up. You know, George Strait would pick a lot of tunes from other people. Um, nowadays, the record labels have the artists sit down and write with a couple big time writers. And so the artist himself is also on the right, um, which, you know, it cuts into funding and that kind of thing. But I mean, that's just, that's just the trend. That's the way it is. Right. Um, and they do that with their up and comers, their new stars. They sit them down with, with serious, uh, senior songwriters and people that's been around Nashville for a while or whatever. And they let the new guy write with them. And so the songs coming out are going to be great. And then they've got this new kid's voice, 19, 20 year old. And so the combination is just huge right now in Nashville. Um, but I, but I think you really just got to get with somebody and start doing some collaborating so you can, so you can put stuff together and, you know, get a song done. So. Cool deal. Well, there you go, Rick. Hope that helped you out, and we appreciate you being a fan. That's going to bring us down to the hour, and with it, we shall wave the white flag. White flag. White flag is the segment where we tell folks what's on our radar coming up in the next couple of days and weeks. Can be book-related stuff, can be sports-related stuff, can be pretty much whatever we want it to be. Uh, In our neck of the woods, talked about it just a second ago, man. Better Call Saul, mid-season finale. I am jazzed to see how this is going to go down. I really try and stay away from spoilers, which when when you're on Twitter, that's kind of hard to do. But but I've been able to do it. Supposedly, though, the the mid-season finale is going to be a biggie. A lot of stuff's going to happen. And uh, there's one character in particular that I'm kind of worried about. And I, I don't want that to go down the wrong way, and I'm afraid it might. But I will find out. Monday night, really excited about that. Uh, also starting to do some early prep for Infinity Con. That's going to be happening June 4th in Tallahassee. So folks who are around the, the Florida Panhandle, come see us there. Myself and Nick Steverson, uh, another author in the Salvage Title Universe, is going to be, we're going to be loading up and heading over there for that Saturday and Sunday. That's going to be held at the Donald L. Tucker Center there, formerly the Leon County Civic Center, uh, right in the middle of town, which is where the Knowles play basketball. So y'all come out and see us man we're gonna be hawking some books gonna be uh on some panels and stuff talking about writing talking about sci-fi and stuff and uh and really jazzed about it so that's what's on my radar brother steverson what's going on with you man well that same weekend you'll be at the con i will be officiating a wedding up in ohio uh tyler ackerman one of the front men for the band cypress spring uh he's doing independent stuff now uh by himself but i'll be up there officiating his wedding um you know i've been I've been ordained since 2000, late 2005. So, uh, going to go up there and do that for him. And then, um, it won't be much longer later, you know, right on my birthday weekend, I'll be in, uh, in Liberty Con. Nice. Uh, so, Chattanooga. Yep. I'll see so, you there. So, looking that. forward to both of those. Yeah. That's great. Looking forward to both of those. And then, uh, I don't know, as far as what's happening in the world, world, um, you know, I'm just, Otani is, 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 was coming on slow with the bat there in Bay. Baseball, but now he's 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 bringing it back up, bringing his batting average back up. I'm just I'm just curious to see if he was a one year wonder, if he's going to do it again, Shelly yeah. Otani. 
And, uh, you know, when he, when he had a game where he threw 11 strikes and uh, strikeouts and hit two home runs, I think he's not a fluke. Yeah. Yeah. Going to be interesting to see how that pans out. Uh, sadly, my Cincinnati Reds will not be relevant ever again listen, as listen. long as Bob Castillo is got, the owner. So, you know, you guys got in the record books this year. You guys got in the record books this year. Uh, yeah. For, in, in a very dubious way, my friend. <laughs> so, not cool at all. All righty. Well, thanks again to Dan Maldonado, Tim Rayner, Turn 4 Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. If you are looking for racing content, them boys got you covered. Go check them out on YouTube if you want to watch them live in video, answer questions, all that good stuff there. Or you can subscribe to them via podcast like you do with this show, Apple, Google Play, all that stuff. You can find them there. Also, for our show, their show, leave stars, man. If you like a show, if you like a program and want to support it, that's how people find us. So leave five stars, leave a quick review on why you like the show, and it helps to boost us up the rankings. Thanks, as always, to Chris Kennedy Publishing for being a presenting sponsor for this show. Thanks to the International Association of Science Fiction Fantasy Authors for sponsoring our pod mail segment. And thanks to you guys, the listeners. If you want to send a pod mail question to us, just catch up with us on social media by following Shark Flight Media on Facebook and Twitter, or you can catch up with us as individuals or send us an email at dudesinhyperspace at gmail.com. For Brother Steverson, for Brother Hal, who will be back next time, I am Ian J. Malone, and we'll see you next time on the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. See you.